0: The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to getting to the Word this morning. We're going to continue in the Word as we have been in the, in the series that we've been on. I want to encourage you to write a few things down if you have the ability to do that. Taking some notes is helpful. It just helps us to, to draw a, a line between thoughts as we, as we move through the Scripture together. It also gives you a reference point that you can visit in your own time because I know that God speaks something to us together here, but He's also speaking to us individually. You know, He's liable to just sit down next to you on the plane like He did with Larry and have a little conversation with you, you know? I wish I would have been sitting on the aisle across from you, thinking, "What's that guy crying about?" You know. <laughs> oh wow. Well, there's a few things we're going to find as we get into the word. If you want to write them down, you can write them down. Uh, things to look forward to as we go through the scripture. What's needed to see the kingdom? There's something that needs to exist in our lives to see the kingdom of God. And I mean, this is a, a, a great opportunity to say something, you know, in line with the testimonies that were given. I mean, something needs to happen in our lives to see the kingdom or else you just see stuff. You know, if you were in a situation like Larry's situation where he heard God speak to him, you know, there's, there's an element of his life that has been activated to the kingdom of God where he, he realizes this is something I need to pay attention to. Where I think God speaks to a lot of people, the question is, are they listening? Do they write it off? Do they ignore it? It's just something else. Uh, you know, Sherry's ultra dream where she's <laughs> destroying people with a kitchen spoon, you know. Uh, you know, that dream, obviously, God is involved in that. And, and the question is, you know, would she be sensitive to respond to it? So there's something that needs to take place in our lives in order to see the kingdom and its activity around us. We'll find that in the Word. Another thing we're going to find is who we are in Jesus who you are, who I am in Jesus Christ. The third thing that we're going to find is what the world needs to see. What the world around you needs to see. and It's something that you have seen before, and now they need to see it too. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll find out what that is in the scripture so that we can live our lives in agreement with it. Uh, so I want to get right into the word here. Now, we, Because it's been a series, we've established uh, the beginning of each message with, with the same verses. Uh, But there's been a little different twist every time. So if you have your Bibles there, uh, I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Now, we mentioned before the first thing we're going to find is what's needed in order to see the kingdom, in order to realize that the kingdom of God is active around you. Uh, What's needed to see the kingdom, we're going to find it here. But 1 John chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 7 through 12. 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 through 12. Now the series has been about love. We've been talking about love. We've been realizing the importance of love. But uh, uh, more importantly, we have been discussing what love is. You know, we use the word love so often. I mean, I'm sure that the word love will be used uh, today a lot regarding a football game, you know. The question is, is that really love? I mean. I've described food as something that I've loved before, or, or an event, or something like that. Uh, love has become a word that we use so often in our vocabulary that it can be diminished in its weight and in its value, in its, in its actual worth. So we've taken the time here to look at a biblical definition of love in order to see what it means when we express love verbally. And that's what we're going to continue to do today. So 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Uh, We read these words, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And by this the love of God was manifest in us, that God sent his only begotten son Jesus into the world so that we might live through him. The word goes on to say, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, I want to stop there because we see the importance of love. I mean, love identifies or activates this, this identity in you and in me as a person who is born of God and knows God. And We talked about the importance of knowing God last week because as Jesus prayed in John 17, he said, this is eternal life that they know you and know the Christ whom you sent. So knowing God is this this key, this necessary foundation for eternal life. Not knowing about God, but rather knowing God. It's one of the reasons why our commitment here as a congregation and as a church, the leadership here is not simply interested in sharing information so that our, our God IQ goes up, but rather it's to make introductions for the purpose of your relationship with Jesus Christ growing. Because knowledge about is not knowing it's time spent with that leads to knowing, and that's a very important thing. And then there comes this identity, of being born of God. Now, I mentioned before we're going to find what's needed in order to see the kingdom. I want to give you a reference to Scripture for your notes. You're welcome to turn there if you like. John chapter 3, verse 3. And in John chapter 3, verse 3, you see Jesus speaking, and he's speaking with an individual who's very curious about the kingdom of God. He has a a lot of questions and he he gets time with Jesus one-on-one and he begins to ask these questions. And then, you know, I think you ought to just pause for a second and think about this. This is a pretty big deal. It's it's a colossal moment. And depending on your your life experience and and your understanding of, of the context of what's going on here, your interpretation could vary greatly. But I just want to offer you my thoughts. I mean, I think it's a pretty gutsy thing to go and try to secure time with Jesus just by yourself and then have the courage to ask questions. I mean, it's really sometimes difficult to get people to ask questions because they're afraid of embarrassment or rejection. But this person is doing this thing, he's, he's making himself vulnerable, he finds time with Jesus and he asks him questions concerning the kingdom of God and Jesus gives him some answers and this happens to be one of his answers in John chapter 3 verse 3. Jesus speaks and says, truly, truly, I say to you that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. For you and for me, without new birth taking place in our lives, that dream is just a weird dream. That, that flight is just something weird happened. But when the kingdom is activated through that new birth, we realize that God's speaking to us, that he's leading us, that he's guiding us, that it's not strange or awkward. It's throughout the scripture, you see it, and why not me? I'm a disciple just like he was a disciple or she was a disciple in the recorded scripture. So we see that this new birth opens up wonderful things in our lives to see and to function and to be active in the kingdom. Unless that takes place, unless we are born again, we can't see the kingdom. So when I'm looking at John chapter 4, what we read earlier, I see the importance of love because everyone who loves is born of God. Something takes place upon new birth. When Jesus enters into our life and we're not born of flesh and blood, but we're born of the Spirit of God, a wonderful thing takes place. And I believe that that encounter with love itself has an effect on us. That effect isn't meant to be hoarded or stored up, but rather it's meant to be released. Our lives are meant to be given in such a way and lived out in such a way that the love of God flows through us. And that's why it's important that we understand what love is. That it not simply be a four-letter word in our vocabulary that can be ascribed to anything that we like. But rather, we need to realize that love is a commitment. It's a commitment that includes the following promises. We've defined love out of the scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you have your Bibles there, I would encourage you to turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to look at verses 4 through 8. To see a list of attributes that make up love. When we confess love one to another, when we, when we speak love, when we verbally express it, we're saying the following things. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 beginning in verse 4, it reads as, Love is, now you can stop there and realize that all the words that follow are going to be defining love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It doesn't brag and isn't arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It doesn't seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love does not take into account wrong suffered. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never fails. So when we discuss love and define love, I think it's important for us to understand what makes up love. I mean, it's been very easy for me throughout my marriage to say to my wife, I love you. Now, the challenge on occasion has been being patient or being kind, not being envious, not being arrogant. If I can say I love you, the question is, can I actually perform? Can I make good on that commitment? And these are the things that need to be understood or else love simply becomes an empty word. Love is meant to be lived out or expressed through patience and kindness, through the absence of envy and all of those things that make up that list. Now, in weeks past, we've talked about patience. We've talked about kindness. If you missed kindness, that that, that one really meant a lot to me. If you missed it, I would encourage you to see if you can find it online. Love does not envy. Now, some of your Bibles may say love is not jealous. A better interpretation is love does not envy. Because the scripture tells us that God is love, and it also says that he is jealous. We defined jealous and defined envy and, and contracted, or, or contrasted the two, and they're very different. You can be jealous for something. Uh, my wife is jealous for my time, that I don't just spend it all at work, and, and she rightfully should be, because my time has been pledged to her and promised to her. But yet she's not led by envy. She doesn't want something that she should not or does not have. Envy and covetousness, one and the same. Then we talked about love not being arrogant and not seeking uh, its own or or not bragging. We talked about that last week. That was a a very powerful message for for me personally too, and probably because those are things I've dealt with in the past, arrogance and things of that matter. And today we're going to talk about love not acting unbecomingly. I mean... It's not really a a verbiage that we use, you know, unbecomingly, but I want to look at that word and find out what it means for the purpose of understanding what love is. If love is such a powerful force that it's necessary for us to operate in it, to be functioning in the kingdom of God, to be expressing all that God has done for us through Jesus to one another, then I want to establish a good understanding of what love is For the purpose of accomplishing those things. So we turn to the dictionary to look up unbecoming. If love does not act unbecoming, I need to know what unbecoming is so that I can examine my life to see, do I act unbecomingly? Is there unbecoming actions in my life? So the dictionary will play with your head, and we've joked about this before because, you know, I mean, like let's just say you look up the word stop. I want to know what it means to stop, okay? Uh, sometimes I think maybe my children should look up that word. Do you, you want to look up the, you, do you know what stop means? So you look up the word stop, and it might say to cease. And you think, well, I don't know what cease means, so I look up the word cease, and it says to stop, you know, and then you, you like, it's like a bad ping pong match right there. You go back and forth. So sometimes the dictionary can get in your head, but we're going to go to the dictionary, and we're going to look up unbecoming. And what you have here is, is a, a following definition, not becoming. I didn't help me much, you know. So you go to, to definition two, and it says not attractive. I'm thinking, okay, well, that's interesting. But, but what's attractive? I mean, that's relative, you know. So the, the following definition is listed there. Now, this is the one that stood out to me Is now. I think that's, that's probably where we ought to think. Unbecoming, by definition, not according to with the standards appropriate or acceptable for a person in a particular job or position. Not appropriate for the standards that go with a person in a particular position. Now, what I understand here is I was born again, I became a Christian. That's a position I'm operating in. Uh, the, The Bible says that we are ambassadors for Christ. You have no problem seeing being an ambassador as a position, right? So as we become Christians, we step into this position of Christianity and our behavior should be in according with the expectations for that position or else it falls in the category of being unbecoming. So I'm curious what is becoming to a believer? What is becoming of a Christian? What is the, the expected behavior or, or lifestyle and, and in the Scripture, there's some really interesting things here that, that I think we ought to take a look at. Psalm thirty-three, one uses the word "becoming." Psalm thirty-three, verse one, it says, "Sing for joy to the Lord, O you righteous ones; praise is becoming to the upright." That's a funny thing, you know. And I mean, I read that and it's it's like, wow, that's great. Praise is becoming to the upright. It's like you went to a, a Christian Chinese restaurant and you got your fortune cookie and you, you cracked it open and it said, praise is becoming to the upright. And you're like, oh, mm, that's really good. You know, I mean, it, I, don't, I don't really understand that. But what I do when I apply it to my life, I see something. And I mean, this is just a window into my life. I, I can't tell you that this is across the board. I can't tell you that every person has the same experience. But I can tell you that before I was a Christian, I absolutely hated praise. I hated it. I hated worship. And My brother was born again before I was, and he annoyed the bejesus out of me. Is bejesus a thing? What is that? Okay, so anyway, he just really annoyed me. I'd get into his truck, you know, because we were working in the same area, and he would be driving me to a a part that I was working in, and and he would have, at the time, there was a a guy that was really popular in Christian praise and worship, and he would have his CD playing. And the first thing I would do when I got in his truck was just look at him like I'm going to kill you, like I'm going to find a spoon like Sherry Webb and just start beating you down. And i just push the off button on his stereo. I hated it. I hated praise and worship. I avoided praise and worship. So, you know, I mean, because I was young at the time and and, and I I had a, a massive alcohol issue... And my parents wanted me to go to church, and I I wanted to to satisfy them. So I would just drive around and drink until I thought praise and worship was over. And then I would go in, and I would see who was speaking, and I would listen for about two minutes, you know, so that I could say, hey, Pastor so-and-so spoke, and he talked about this. That's all I needed to punch my ticket. See, I went to church. Are you happy now? So back off. So, you know, and there were times where, where I would show up there and I'd be driving around like, well, surely they're done singing and acting like idiots by now. So maybe I can walk in there and, and I walked in and, and and worship had gone long. It was weird. And it got even more weird because I thought, well, I don't want to go back out to my truck, you know, surely they're about wrapped up with this. So I just kind of stepped on the the up a, you know, it was pretty crowded, so I found a seat and just stood there, you know, and and it had extended, you know, God was doing something in this service, and it was really cool. And then this is really weird, okay? And because I love you so much, I, I'll share this with you. I mean, it, it, maybe I'll regret it later and think, I ah, shouldn't have shared that. But, but it's real. I mean, this really happened. This is a real account, you know. And I'm standing there, and I'm just standing. And, you know, you've been to, to sporting events where they do the wave, you know. It's like, eh. there's always that one guy that really wants to get it going really bad, and he's turned around facing everyone like, ah and then they finally get it going, and it just goes around, you know. Something happened in that room, and I, I can't really explain it, except I know this. I mean, I, I can remember where I was standing. I was super, you know, upset because my, my whole plan to get in and get out had been disturbed by whatever was going on. And I'm standing there, and as I'm facing, you know, the, the platform, the, the it's, an, it's a pretty big church. I, I'm aware something's happening over here, and, and I could just feel it, almost as if a breeze was blowing across the room. You would just feel it. And I can't really explain it, except you could feel it. You were just simply aware of it. And I felt whatever that was, and today I believe it was the Spirit of God, I just, it just moved right across the room from my right and to my left. And right about the time it got over me, I mean, something happened. I said something, and it wasn't English. I don't know what it was. But, I I mean, it just happened, and I'm thinking, uh, that was weird. Last time I come to church early like this, you know. And today I look back at that, and I'm thinking, I was in the midst of something that all of those who had, had, had been born again, all of those who had been of a regenerated spirit and a renewed mind were absolutely aware and able to participate and engage with what was going on. I couldn't. I couldn't. All I could do was stand there, witness that what had taken place, but to participate in that, I was on the outside of that. That which was becoming to all of those who were upright, who were being blessed and edified by that, I was standing as if on the outside in. And I believe to this day that there were attempts, that that was one of many attempts of God to draw me in, to, to give a taste and a glimpse that there is something real here. And I've oftentimes... wondered what it was that I uttered or said, you know, I mean, what are those words? And the best that I could come up with, so I was probably saying, please don't kill me, you know, because (laughs) uh, who, who knows there. But praise is becoming to the upright. Before I was born again, I hated it. I wanted no part of it. I rejected it. I resented it. I avoided it. And then now, upon being born again, it's something that you would run to, you would be drawn to, that you you desire to have establishing the environment in your home or in your workplace or in the house of worship, obviously. But it becomes something that becomes desirable to us. So what is becoming to the believer is a, a lifestyle of praise and worship. Love does not act unbecomingly. It's not going to behave outside of praise and worship. And when you identify what praise and worship is, praise and worship at its very foundation is an expression of thanks and gratitude. I mean, praise and worship songs are are meant to be founded upon thanksgiving no matter what. I mean, you hear these things that we we sing and we celebrate, and you can find at their core and at their foundation is, is this, that God has done something on our behalf And we are grateful for it. And it's where you see praise and worship manifest in our lives. So as we talk about praise, I want to offer this from the Psalms. Knowing that it's praise that is becoming to the upright, that love does not act unbecoming, rather love acts in a becoming way, that we're going to be behaving in a way that is conducive to praise and worship. I'll give you a passage of Scripture here from the Psalms. Psalm 34, verse 1. It speaks of praise, that which is becoming. To the upright. I will bless the Lord at all times, and His praise will continually be in my mouth. I mean, it's a wonderful passage of Scripture, and when we begin to unpack it and break it down, it, it can be extremely effective and powerful in, in having an impact on our thinking as we examine our lives. I mean, this is a great Scripture to... to have as a motivation in your your life and I don't want to say that you would have a call to live up to it but rather God has imparted all that we need to live out this scripture but when you think about these things I think it's important to ask yourself this I mean if blessing the Lord at all times and his praise continually being in my mouth is something that is effective and happening in me what does that mean I mean, what does it mean? When I let my wheels turn and I think about this, obviously we see that the presence of praise at all times in my mouth, continually being in my mouth, means that praise is present. But if praise is present, then then I have to go down the list of all the things that are now absent. If it's praise, if it's thanksgiving, if it's gratitude, if it's this that's always in my mouth, that His praise is continually in my mouth, then what are the things that are absent? Things like grumbling and complaining, things like criticism, things uh, like like accusation. And by the way, that's a very important thing for us to, to come into an understanding of. Jesus Christ is constantly making intercession for you and for me. I mean, his blood is in a constant state of testifying on our behalf. And when we speak of the, the opposite, when we speak of Satan and his works, we see the opposite work at, at hand. We see the work of accusation. In fact, in the scripture, he is referred to as the accuser of the brethren. So when you take these two things and you consider them, you see that there, there are basically two ministries at work. One is this ministry of intercession. It's the work of Jesus Christ. And this other that, that is the work of Satan is this, this ministry or effort of, of accusation. And it's important for us to understand that that our words and how we live our life really choose which camp we decide to, to camp out in on any given day or in any given situation or any given circumstance. Do I choose to be a catalyst for that ministry of intercession and let my words be those that are pleasing to God or praise, so to speak? Or do I give my words over to accusation? And, you know, when we see things like complaining and grumbling in the Scripture, it's very easy for us to just skim right over them. But we need to understand that these things are extremely detrimental. I mean, I don't want it to take the time to go and revisit the Scripture, but you can see in the, the book of, of Exodus when the children of Israel are coming out of sl- sin and slavery and they're moving into the promised land. Uh, by, by, you know, geographical accounts, this is a journey that should have taken four months, something like that. But rather, it took 40 years. And not only did it take 40 years, but it took a lot of change. The reason why it took 40 years was because people had to literally die off because they had this attitude inside of them that was filled with grumbling and complaining. I mean, that's really the paraphrase of the story. No matter what God did for them, they would grumble and complain and grumble and complain. We're happy one day. Well, thanks for taking care of us. And then in some cases, literally the next day, fussing and whining, grumbling and complaining. Happy again, then grumbling and complaining. And when I think of that, I think, well, why is that really such a big deal, you know? I mean, you put me in a spot that's uncomfortable or 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 just a little outside of my my comfort zone or my element, and I'm liable to, to grumble and complain, why is that such a big deal? And I've come to realize why it's such a big deal, because at the heart of every complaint is an accusation. I really want you to catch that. At the heart of every complaint is an accusation. An accusation that, that, you know, you're not holding up your end. You're not providing like you said you would. You're not doing this. An accusation toward God or toward men. At the heart of every complaint that I might have to, to my wife in any situation or circumstance, there's an accusation. An accusation that, that, that you're displeasing or that you're not doing this or that. Complaining has, has, is this nicely packaged uh, delivery system for the work of Satan. That ministry of accusation. And it's the reason why my wife just shot me a look. She did too. You did so. I saw it. But at the heart of every complaint, there's an accusation. It's the reason why God's praise and thanksgiving and all of those things continually being in our mouth is such an important thing. Because if the presence of gratitude and thanksgiving is continually in our mouth, then there's no room for complaint which is the catalyst for accusation, which is the work of Satan. So what is becoming to the believer? I mean, what is becoming to the one who is operating in love and love does not act unbecomingly? I want us to look at, at what our, our person should look like. Me and you, our lives, how it should appear. And I want us to see it in the Scripture. Now, this is a, a lengthy passage of Scripture. It's about 13 verses. But I want to read it and I want to just trust that God's going to reveal to you a, a wonderful Enrich rich passage of scripture to help paint the picture of what our lives are meant to look like when we are born again and living out our lives in love, not acting unbecomingly. Ephesians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there because you're going to find lots of stuff you're going to want to underline or circle or draw little happy faces by. I mean, there's so many rich things in this passage of scripture to help us to function and operate as we're meant to. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. It opens with these words, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering, a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So you see there we're talking about love. Now we get to verse 3. But immorality and impurity, greed... These must not be named among you. It is not proper for these to be named among you as you are the saints. Again, not proper would be unbecoming. There must be no filthiness, no silly talk or coarse jesting. I mean, no matter how funny the joke is, if it's dirty, don't tell it. These are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. Do you see what's contrasted here? You have all this dirty stuff, immorality, filth, and all of this, and instead of having this list of opposites, there's just one thing. Hey, rather than all of this stuff, rather than, than coarse jesting and filthy talk, rather than greed, rather than all of these unbecoming things, rather give thanks. I mean, it's one solution to a world of problems. One solution to a world of challenges. One solution to a world of issues. And it goes on to say this in verse 5. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. And you can take that and make it as deep and wide as you would like to. But for us, as we set things up earlier, they won't see the kingdom. It won't be something that's active and alive in their lives. Even though God is reaching out to them and speaking to them, they're dull to it and there is no response. Thanksgiving is important. Thanksgiving is what will put an end to impurity, greed. Thanksgiving is what will put an end to the filthiness and the coarse jesting and the silliness that isn't fitting or is unbecoming for anyone who is operating in love. Because love itself does not act unbecoming. Now verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light. You are light in the Lord, so walk as children of the light. And the fruit of light consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth trying to learn those things that are pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it's disgraceful to speak of these things which are done in secret. But things that are vi- become visible when they are exposed by the light, and then everything that becomes visible becomes light. I want to just share this with you. Uh, It's kind of a a personal thing. But when I see those things there, I, I realize that I'm called to walk in love. I'm called to live out my life in love. That that which is unbecoming is not meant to be a part of my life. But yet this world is constantly trying to tempt and draw into that unbecoming behavior. Temptations for the things that are impure or immoral. Temptations for the things that are filled with greed or some selfish act. Those things are constantly a pull and a draw. And when I see this, I see this wonderful call on my life to pursue. I love that the word try is used. Try to learn what's pleasing to the Lord. When we put that effort into that, He guides and He leads and He sees to it by His Spirit that we have those things that we need. That call to not participate in those things, but even to expose them. To me personally, that is extremely important. And I mean, this is a big deal, and it's going to require some serious maturity on on your behalf and on on the behalf of anyone who would practice this. But there have been times in my life where I have gone and I've sat down and had conversation with my wife or with uh, uh, an elder in the church or or an, an apostolic figure in my life, depending on what it was that was attempting to draw me into something unbecoming, and my desire is to shine light on it. I remember this is a goofy example. There have been some very serious examples that were really a, a test. But I remember the first time that I was ever ministering overseas. It was in a West African nation. and I remember standing there in, in a, a hotel and I was moving my bags and a woman came up and was speaking with me and, and she said, you know, why are you here? And I said, well, I'm here to be a part of some church meetings. She, oh, wow, that's incredible. You know, and we started talking and started talking to her about Jesus. And the whole time I'm thinking... Man, God has called me to Africa. These people, they want to receive what I have to share. Then she rubbed my arm and told me what room she was in and said, Why don't you call me up tonight? So you know, you know what I did? I mean, obviously, the first thing I did was I went to the guys that I was there with, knocked on their door, and I said, hey, listen, you need to know there's a prostitute in the hotel, and she's asked me to come to her room. I figured the worst thing I could do is go to her room, and the best thing I could do is come and tell you about it. <laughs> so let's just shine light on it. I mean, it's such a goofy example, but that's real. I mean, if I have any kind of thought or temptation that I know is unbecoming, I don't mind going to my wife and saying, listen, I need to tell you about something that went through my head. I don't like that it went through my head, and I would sure love for it to not have any room to stay there. So let's shine light on it. We are meant to shine light so that we can be free from that garbage, but it's going to require us to be mature, not judgmental, but those who are spiritually mature. To help, to to shine light. And there's a reason why we need to help each other shine light. And I want to tell you what that reason is. It's because you are light. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 16, or through 16, excuse me, you are light in the world. Some of your translations may say you are the light of the world, a city set up on a hill. Nobody lights a lamp to hide it, but they put it on a lampstand And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine in such a way that men may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You're a light. You're a light that's meant to be set up for all to see. And I love that this part is included in that scripture. And it gives light to all who are in the house. You are meant to give light to all who are in this house. And house is relative. It could be your business, your workplace. It could just be simply your home. I'm meant to give light to my sons. I'm meant to be a place where they can come and say, I have something that needs to be exposed to light. And me not shame them or keep them pushed into the dark, but rather me be the light on a lampstand that shines light onto that situation and leads them to a place where that which was once in the darkness is exposed by light. And when exposed by light, itself becomes light, according to the scripture that we read in Ephesians. I mentioned before we're going to find what the world needs to see. I want to share this with you, and then I want to to pray and dismiss to eat together. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 2 and going through verse 4, what the world needs to see. It identifies the people that are in the world, and I myself was once in this people group, and and you too, I imagine. Isaiah 9, beginning in verse 2, a people who walk in darkness... Will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. They will be multiplied as a nation. They will increase in gladness. They will be glad in the presence of light, as in the gladness of the harvest, as when men rejoice when they divide up the spoil. And light will break the yoke of their burden, the staff that is on their shoulder the rod of their oppressor, as in the battle of Midian. And that's a reference to a battle from Judges chapter 6. Now, this passage of Scripture is written as a prophetic message concerning Jesus, who Jesus stepped into the world and could declare rightly, I am the light of the world. But before ascending to heaven, Jesus would look on his disciples, that's me and you, and he would say, you are the light of the world. And with this passage of Scripture, with a full understanding that it's only because of Jesus Christ in me, I see this Scripture as a call to me and as a call to you. As a call to us as a congregation, as a call to the body of Christ and all of Christianity. That we're meant to be light that shines. That people in a dark land will see a great light. They're going to see you and me. And as they dwell in a dark land, light will shine on them. And it's that light that leads to multiplication. That light which leads to increase in their gladness. You know what increase in their gladness means? Gladness. It means a decrease in depression. Do you see depression in our world today? I see it. When I turn on the television, I see commercials where they start playing this music. Are you depressed? try non-depressia. One 45-milligram tablet could help you in your depression. May cause bleeding, uncontrollable diarrhea, spontaneous combustion, suicidal thoughts. That's actually a side effect on some of these medicines. I'm thinking, why would I want to take that? But you know, they get the commercial going, and you're like, well, I wasn't depressed, but I'm getting there really fast. There's a lot of people who are hurting. It's a real thing. It's a a real issue. And according to the scripture, the solution isn't non-depression in a 45 milligram tablet. The solution is light. Light. Light will shine into that darkened land and their gladness will increase, which means their depression will decrease. And if we sit around as a church and we wait for Jesus to do that, we need to understand that Jesus is enthroned in heaven empowering us to do that. We're the light that's meant to be set on the lampstand, that's shining to all of those who are in the room. We're the light that exposes that darkness and leads those folks out of that depression and into the joy of the Lord. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I've learned a couple of things. I've learned once kids start running through the sanctuary, it's time to pray. (laughs) And we just had our sign from God. Don't you love being loose like that? I mean, I really do. I've spent more than enough time being uptight and, and, and stiff, and I really enjoy trusting and believing God to do great things among us. I want to pray, and I, the, the prayer is going to be simple, that God show us what love is, that we begin to function and operate in a way that behaves and acts according with love, that our lives be a lifestyle of praise and thanksgiving, and in doing those things, We make no room for greed and immorality and all of that corruption that gratitude gets rid of. And that when these things take place, we become that light that shines. So there where you stand, you can be in a state of receiving or agreement, however you choose to posture yourself. But I want to pray for you. I want to pray for me too. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that you have brought into our lives through Jesus. And as we receive your word this morning, we ask in Jesus' name for a mighty work to take place in our hearts and in our minds. We ask that love would be revealed to us, that we might have understanding, that it would go beyond uh, all that we've been shown in this world, but that we would see love as we would see you, knowing completely and fully who you are. And let all that would define love from your word be revealed to us. That we might know that love is patient and kind. That we might know that love does not brag and is not arrogant. That we might know that love does not behave unbecomingly. And have our hearts and minds surrendered to behave in such a way that we might live out our lives in love. Love for one another. Let our lives be filled with gratitude and thanksgiving. That praise and worship. Would be desirable for us, that we would enjoy being in the midst of your presence and offering unto you all that you're worthy to receive. And let this attitude of thanksgiving, let this gratitude that would flow from us leave no room for greed and immorality to have place in our hearts and in our minds. But let it leave us in such a place that we might shine as a light, a light that would penetrate all darkness and lead to the fullness of your joy revealed to your people. We surrender our lives to have this work done, and we trust that by your Spirit, this work will be powerful and effective in each one of us. As we continue in fellowship together this morning, we ask that you be honored and glorified as we share our love for and with one another. We bless your name and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.